motorsport and motoring radio show. Now on 88.5 FM, the valley comes alive. And podcasting across iTunes and talkandpower.com.au. Welcome to another episode of the Talk and Power podcast. We're up to episode 142 and I've got a guest with us that we've been meaning to have on for some time. He's going to be talking all things Wasma tonight, but we'll, we'll touch a bit on some of his other accolades as well, I guess. Welcome to Chris Bitmead. Chris, thanks for, thanks for coming along on the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Nick. It's uh, great to be here and uh, I love talking about all things automotive, so this suits me uh, down to the ground. Oh, cool, cool. Look, we met through a mutual friend of ours, a friend on the podcast as well, Johnny Alardi. So we should shout out to Johnny. And and uh, so I know I met you a few years ago now, but uh, we sort of hang in the same circles, I guess. So I, I enjoy going on some of the events that you hold as well. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that shortly. But look, I mean, I guess while tonight we're going to be talking about you represent Wasma, but before we kick off with Wasma, let's just t- touch base a little bit about in terms of your your past in terms of cars and, and where this where this obsession came from. Uh, it started back uh, probably when I was uh, at school, primary school, high school, I can't remember, um, where I used to actually do up a bike, you know, like for, for, for competitions and, yeah. and, and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, so... Always, always love fiddling around with things mechanical. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never been a job of mine. It's always been a passion, though. So yep. uh, when I when I left school and got a job, um, not too long after that, I bought my first project, which was a, a 1954 FJ Holden. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just a car I bought as a, a bare shell, uh, yep. a bit of a theme there, as you'll probably hear about later <laughs> on. Um, but, yeah, I bought as a, a, a bare shell, and that car took me, I think, four years to – uh, to, to do up, um, yep. it was um, it was a nice car for its day. It was back in the uh, in the mid eighties when I did that, mm. and uh, that carried up winning top judge at Motivation uh, in yeah, okay. nineteen eighty seven, I think. Yeah, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, that was uh, before Bam Bam brought his um, awesome HQ out and really lifted the bar over yeah. WA in terms of show cars. So um, yeah, that was that, that was good fun. Yeah, so. Uh, Talk us through motivation because a lot of people think it's a show of recent years, but as we had Richie Howlett on the podcast quite a few episodes ago, and we've spoken to Bam Bam as well, that show goes back quite a significant um, number of years now and is really the pinnacle of of Western Australian uh, shows, isn't it? Oh, it is very much so. And uh, so, like I said, I was was at motivation in like 86 or 87. Like I said, my memory is a bit foggy now, the... uh, but, um, but it was a great event, and that was back in the days when they had it at Cannington, um, at the Greyhound track at Cannington. Yep. Yep. And then yep. they used another oval out the back for doing the driving events. Mm. So, um, yeah, obviously the show then moved on to yeah, Burswood after yep. that, which was a big step up, and there were other shows at uh, Belmont Racecourse. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, uh, of course, yeah, Motorplex. I mean, yeah. Motorplex is, the fa- is a fantastic venue and then yeah, really the only place where you can hold a – an event of that caliber where you've got, you know, show and shine, uh, plenty of room for show and shine, plus plenty of room for people doing cruising. And, you know, we really saw seen the, the, uh, the show change over the years, you know, advent of burnouts and stuff like that, where in the early days the burnouts were almost a bit of a demonstration type thing, whereas now yeah. it's pretty much a staple of the show. 
Mm, yeah. Isn't it funny, like motivation's kind of become a business as well, a business to, for promoters to to get involved and, and not necessarily make a, a heap of money, but I, I, it's a business to them now, isn't it? It was interesting because I remember uh, when I actually won uh, top judge at Motivation, I went and picked up the trophies. I actually didn't even attend the, the trophy presentation there. I'd, it was a two-day event and I was only there for one of the two days, I think. <clears throat> anyway, so I missed the trophy presentation. I went and picked them up afterwards and they said to me, oh, next year we're thinking of introducing prize money to the event. I went, well, I don't know if that's such a good idea. It'll take it away from being a um yeah just a yeah a hobby type show into something that's a bit more serious anyway yeah. i think they did that and uh you know the world changed after that but motivation wasn't the only show to do that you know a lot of other shows around the country were making similar changes at that time too yeah 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 no you're right and uh i think sometimes we can weigh up the pros and cons of prize money but i think we've seen a number of clubs and 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 event promoters putting on prize money to uh, attract uh, maybe a higher caliber of entrant, but I agree with you. I don't. I don't necessarily think that's that's required, but I think that's how they pitch their show. I guess. I think so. Yeah, they they probably feel they need to do that to attract the best cars uh, mm. to the shows. I mean, I always believe that people build the cars for themselves, mm. um, and I actually used to be involved in the running of a hot rod show in Perth and. At one stage, I remember you know promoting the idea of you know paying people or giving out prize money for displays. Um, my thinking was that you know your displays are there for the show, but the cars are there for the owners and mm. and uh, and for them to appreciate as a as a vehicle more so yeah. than the showpiece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Well, speaking of top quality uh, cars in car shows, Xbox, tell us a bit about how. I know we don't want to focus too much on that. I think we should have you on another time and talk about Xbox, but just give us a brief on Xbox and how that car came to be. Yeah, sure. So before Xbox, I built a, and I still own it, actually a 1932 Ford three window mm. coupe, yep. which was, a, I think, a six-year build for me. And um, and that was um, a car that you know did well in show. You know, went to Maguire Superstars and was a finalist there. And um, so really... Um, I felt that I'd achieved what we could achieve in, in Australia in terms of, of, of show cars. And I really then wanted to build another car that uh, I wanted to actually take to America to do power tour with. Yep. So I uh, bought this XB Falcon Coupe as a shell, and uh, we sort of got into you know starting modifying that. Uh, John Gilbert, who's the, um, an awesomely talented sort of metal man, um, mm. he... Uh, he got involved with it. He previously worked on a car that a lot of people know as Mercules, uh, yep. which is a, a Ford Mercury, uh, like awesome custom car built here in, in WA. Anyway, so John um, John was probably the catalyst as to why it went from being a, a, um, a power to a car to a, uh, a, a car that we took to the Riddler Award. Um, yep. you know, John wanted to do a custom interior, and initially I sort of resisted it, and then we sort of went along with the idea and... Mm. Uh, one thing led to another, and uh, the next thing we were building a, a car that was going to be a Riddler contender. So, yeah, yep. uh, for me, a lot of people uh, when they build cars, it's all about the end result. Mm. Um, but for me, I think it's more about the journey of building the car and yeah. the mateship you have with it, and um, you know, you have some awesome times when you when you when you're putting the car together and building the car with people and handcrafting it. 
and you have some times that aren't so good, you know, when things aren't going right or there's some disappointment, um, which happens. So mm. you, you experience all those emotions in the building of a car. Um, but, um, but certainly, you know, when it's finished and, and when, when car, you know, gets recognised and, and the accolades it gets, uh, it certainly makes it, makes it all worthwhile uh, yeah. that you're able to share that journey with some people that, are, you know, um, equally share the same passion. Mm, yeah, no, definitely. I, I agree with that. And I know there was a group of people that came together on that car and uh car that went really around the world, didn't it? And, uh, you know, the, the Riddler Award, there's no, you know, I think you made top two in Riddler, was it? Or Well, at the Riddler, officially, there's a, there's a grade eight. Um, yep. So um, they award, they, um, uh, yeah, they award eight cars. Uh, mm. So those, those eight cars from a show of about 900. Mm. Uh, then get to compete for the for the Riddler Award, yeah. and there's one winner. So effectively, there's one winner, and there's seven runner-ups. Yeah, so that's yeah, okay. the official thing. But um, yeah, unofficially, they told us that we were at the pointy end of you know the yeah. runner-ups, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. So whether that's second, third, fourth, I don't know. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, it was certainly at the at the pointy end of the field. Yeah, um, there are a lot of punters there at the show who actually yeah. thought that you know we would we're in for a great shot for actually winning so yeah that's pretty cool yeah. yeah for anyone that's listening we urge them to go to google just type in xbox it comes up straight away it's like <laughs> ranks that's how high it ranks is it's there there's numerous photos of the car um and um yeah i think even your 32 coupe comes up there as well and and a myriad of cars that you've had Tell us, these days you're involved with the Mustang Owners Car Club of WA. Great club, I must say. Very active in the scene in, in all Ford Day and a number of other shows that they do. Tell us a little bit about the Mustang Owners Car Club. Yeah, the Mustang Owners. In fact, my wife actually joined the Mustang Owners Club before I did. Um, that was when she was a, a bit of a widow from being a, a, widow from being a, a car builder. So yep. I was in the shed at nights and stuff like that, and she wanted something <laughs> to do. So... Uh, Colleen at the time had a nice uh, 2007 Shelby GT500. Yep. Uh, so she actually joined the club and um, um, and was their secretary and treasurer, I think, for a number of years. Mm. Um, and then in 2012, I bought my own Mustang, which is a 1965 Fastback, yep. uh, which was my daily driver. And uh, I then joined the club myself. So obviously now been in the club for about 10 years, mm. um, held various roles within the club. And um, it's a, it's a it's a great club. So yeah, yeah. Of recent times, the club's grown, like I think most car clubs have, and we'll talk about that a bit later on. Mm. The reasons why. <laughs> so, yep. Um, but yeah, it is a, a great club and a great mix of cars. You know, both old and new Mustangs. Yeah, we'll talk about car clubs as you said. We'll talk about that uh, soon. Just just recently, I want to touch on uh, an event you held. I went along to it and I had an awesome time and our vice president in our club came along in his Tirana as well. We both said how great that run was. Cruise to Cure, just give it a bit of a plug. You did, you held the WA leg of that that event. Uh, that's a, an event that's held Australia-wide by Greg Maskell. Tell us a bit about that evening and, and the whole the whole premise behind Cruise to Cure. Yeah, sure. So so Greg, uh, for those who don't know, Greg uh, painted Xbox and did mm -hmm. all the finishing body work, him and his team. Uh, and then Greg has been the one who's um, who's transported the car around Australia you know, when it was you know, going and doing its shows and stuff. So him and I have become 
you know, greatest of mates. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that will last until I'm in a wooden box. So, yep. uh, but um, but about 18 months ago, Greg sort of got a bit more serious into um, into losing some weight and getting fitter. Um, so he decided to start riding. So he's been getting very, very serious into his, you know, cycling now. Uh, so he decided to do an event um, mm. called uh, Tour of the Cure, which yep. raises money for cancer research. Mm. And part of that is is that each person that enters has to raise, I think it's a minimum of like twelve thousand dollars in in, um, um, in in donations or yep. um, so that they can enter and actually raise some serious money for cancer research. So being a car guy, um, something that Greg came up with was doing a uh, a car cruise event um, yep. in every state in Australia. So you know, he's got mates all over Australia. So he leaned on us all to you know, to do our bit to help support cancer research and mm. organise an event uh, in every, well, in each, in our own home states uh, yeah. that was part of um, almost like a national event. So yeah, um, so we did that. Um, we organised an evening cruise, I think it was back in January. And mm-hmm. um, I, want, I always like to do something a bit different. I'm one for, for making sure that, you know, people don't do the same thing all the time. I think yeah. it can get a bit stale. People like doing that, you know, first few times and then, yeah, then they sort of lose interest. Yeah. Um, so we organised a cruise that I, I don't think anyone had been to a start point that we started at up at um, up at Greenwood there and yeah. uh, cruised down through the coast and ended up uh, with some pizzas and food down in Willerton. Uh, yeah. So it was a really nice cruise and um, I think those that came along really enjoyed it. We had a bit of a raffle and mm. gave away a few prizes. Um, but importantly, I think for this Perth event, um, I think we raised about $1,000 um for greg's charity so yeah. which which was fantastic i think overall he ended up raising about 15 or seventeen thousand dollars you know from wow. various events yeah um that he'd held around australia plus his own uh fundraising that he'd done through you know, his own contacts mm. so it was a great event great fun um i'm we're sort of a few of us because we enjoyed it said to greg yeah maybe we should do something regardless of whether you do tour the cure yeah, mm. maybe we should do a cruise to cure every year. I think it yeah. would, uh, would be it would be a good fun thing to do. Definitely, yeah. No, I agree, hundred percent. It was a great evening, and uh, it was great to get out and about. And I think the run—you did a magnificent job with the run. I really like enjoyed that driving Thanks, in, in that particular way. And we all managed to stay together as well. Quite a few cars, and uh, really had a great evening. Want to touch on Wasma now? We'll get we'll get stuck into Wasma. Uh, the acronym stands for Western Australian Street Machine Association. By street machiners for street machiners. So tell us a little bit about your involvement with this new, relatively new organisation here in Western Australia. Sure. But as part of that, I'll probably have to go back a little bit. So I've mm-hmm. uh, been working with a group of other guys since about 2015 or 16, uh, which is the Australian Street Machine Federation of WA. Yep. Um, yep. And uh, we came together as a bit of a, a group to work with Department of Transport. There's a lot of discontent around what you can and can't do with modified vehicles and some mm. inconsistencies or reinterpretation of rules and guidelines. Yep. Um, and it's fair to say there was a fair bit of frustration around the general motoring enthusiast community um, around that. So uh, as ASMFWA, you know, we sort of held a number of meetings with Department of Transport that fair to say we're probably slow in getting a lot of traction around mm. that so um then uh, a, a group of other people uh, led by mick rack um yep. called to the out to the motoring community to 
um, to see whether we could do something um, and create a stronger voice um, mm. so that you know, groups like uh, ASMFWA could get a bit of um, attention or have people listening to them when, when, we, were, when we were speaking. So yeah. that's probably, there was a, there was a, a meeting held at a, at a hotel in, in, um, in Midland, I think, and mm-hmm. uh, we went along to that and there were probably 60 or 70 people yep. there. All, um, I guess, voicing their discontent at, <laughs> at sort of um, mm. the difficulties that they'd had in yep. getting modified vehicles approved and so forth. So, um, so that's where WASMA started uh, as mm. being a, an organisation that had a broader voice uh, for for street machiners in WA. So, yep. much like the uh, the CMC ha- is a voice for all the you know the vintage and veteran uh, car clubs mm-hmm. and some of the more modern clubs. Um, but there was no one really representing the modified vehicle scene. So that's where, that's where uh, WASMA was born out of that. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us in WASMA, we have some pretty talented people, if I may say so myself. So Mark Happy Williams, um, and I guess who doesn't know Mark, Uh, Perry Ormsby, uh, Mick Rack, as you just mentioned before, Mick Allender, Steve Thomas, yourself as technical, uh, you sit on the, you're the, the chairman for the technical committee. Yep. Talk us through some of these, Vicky Wilder as well. Talk us through some of these guys and girls that that are that are in Wasma. Uh, first and foremost, they're all motoring enthusiasts. Mm. Okay, yep. so uh, yeah, none of the none of the names you mentioned have a have a vested interest in a in a in a business that you know relies on street machines or anything like that. They're just motoring enthusiasts that have a passion for for cars and modified cars in particular. Yeah, and they just want to see. Uh, more and more uh, modified cars out and about and, and people enjoying and cruising in them. So that's yeah. probably the key thing about the, the WASMA, uh, the membership and the people in particular that you've just mentioned. Yeah. yeah they're all very, very passionate um, about the scene and, yeah. and to see this. They don't want to see the scene die. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, they want to see it grow and prosper uh, yeah. as much as I do. Yeah, no, definitely. And and some of those people there that we just mentioned, like Mark Happy Williams, Summonat's grand champion, um, you know, and I know some of these guys and yourself there in that in that in the WASMA committee have done a magnificent job and they're not just people, you know, sitting in chairs and, and sitting in ivory towers, I guess you'd say. They're actual people on the ground actually doing, you know, working on cars in their in their spare time. They probably don't have much spare time these days, I would have thought, running a, an organisation like this. But it's important that we have these people in these positions. So just give us a rundown of the, the premise of WASMA. You don't actually... You don't hold club events, but WASMA is more of a, a peak body for other street machine type car clubs. Correct. Yeah. So the the um, when WASMA was first sort of developed, um, yep. there was a concern from a lot of the motoring clubs that you know WASMA was going to take members away from them, and that's um, certainly not what WASMA is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wasma wants to be the peak body that represents, you know, modified car clubs and and street machines in in WA. So, yep. now at the moment, I think that there's uh, about twelve or thirteen clubs that are affiliated uh, with with Wasma, yep. and we're hoping that grows as we get the word out. Um, you know, so um, yeah, to to create that bigger voice um, amongst um, amongst the motoring enthusiasts. So yeah. there's been a lot of traction with some stuff um, with, with with Wasma. So 
Um, first of all, on the technical side, because that's probably the bit where I sort of fit into, into WASMA. Um, you know, we're now having regular meetings with the Department of Transport. So, um, and WASMA and ASMFWA are a part of that, even though I sort of wear two hats there, one for yep. WASMA and one for ASMFWA. So mm -hmm. um, there's two hats there. And uh, we, we've gone from a situation where it was, um, it was almost like an adversarial relationship where, you know, no one really wanted to talk to one another to mm. the point where, um, you yeah, we're actually having good collaborative meetings um, very constructive, you know, we understand, you know, where DOT have concerns yeah. and they understand where we have concerns and they're willing to talk about those concerns with us. So mm. like everything though, um, yeah, it, it, yeah, things don't happen as quickly as what a lot of people might like. Yeah. Um, but I can assure people that things are working uh, in a good direction at the moment. Do you think, do you think there's a preconceived notion out there in the in the scene, in the stream machine scene, that Department of Transport are against uh, modifications? I think it's actually probably quite the opposite if we if we dig down. But do you think out there in the scene we need to probably one of your first tasks would be to dispel that myth? I think yeah, I think the concern is, and that's probably something that a lot of street machiners don't understand is that there is an element of people who drive, um, let's say, modified cars or what looked like a modified car, mm. um, um, and they don't do the right thing out on the mm -hmm. street. So yep. um, politicians get a lot of complaints from people um, regarding hoon behaviour. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, um, a lot of people can't distinguish between, you know, um, yeah, someone who's doing the wrong thing in a bunky old car that might have a set of old mags in it, they yep. see that as a street machine. Mm. Yeah, whereas, you know, we've sort of done a lot of work to try and you know, say that, you know, these people who spend a lot of money modifying their cars, you know, they're, mm. they're car enthusiasts. They're not the hoons, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, yep. So um, we've, that, that's been a really difficult one because on the one hand, the guys at the Department of Transport, you know, get um, you know, comments from ministers and, and other members of parliament whose constituents are sort of complaining about behaviour of the vehicles that they see we drive. Um, mm. Yet we're, we're sort of pushing the other side saying, okay, well, yeah. we actually want to have more modifications to these cars. So yeah. um, that that's probably the balance and that's where they, they get some concerns. And I think it's fair to say that, you know, a number of years ago, uh, in in relation to the concerns where they were getting complaints through you know through members of parliament or or whatever, uh, you know they came down with a fairly heavy stick in regards to modified vehicles and mm. um, that's relaxing somewhat. Yeah. Um, and um, and yeah, they're they're listening to us. You know, and yeah, we, we've we've done a lot of work behind the scenes. Um, yeah, particularly the guys from ASMFWA in terms of data research, accident statistics. Yeah. Um, in, in the insurance statistics and that for modified vehicles and enthusiast vehicles mm. to demonstrate that they just do not stack up or um, they're, they're really underrepresented yeah. in the yep. um, uh, in terms of accident statistics and, and, and so forth. Yeah. Which is why yeah, a lot of insurance companies are, are happy to insure modified vehicles mm. uh, and limited use vehicles because they represent a lower risk to them.
Yeah. Look, I remember we had James James uh, McDonald and uh, Stan Coase from from the Australian Street Machine uh, Federation on well, probably a couple of years ago now. Yep. And, you know, they, they, they even back then they provided some pretty damning statistics that show clearly that our, we'll call it our representation of vehicles yep. were, were majorly underrepresented in road traffic accidents. Yes. And that, you know, that we were probably looking at the picture a little bit wrong there. But I, I do honestly think that there's a... Well, we, we deal a little bit myself with the Department of Transport as well, and I, I can see it's starting to go back the other way, and I can see that there's an acceptance now of our vehicles, we'll call them our vehicles, and and, yeah. and what we do with them. Yeah, oh, for, for sure. And then a lot of that relates to behaviour. I think they like, the Department of Transport like the idea of people being in clubs mm-hmm. because there's almost a degree of um, self-policing there if people are doing the wrong thing. You know, they're hopeful that you know other club members will pull them up and or call them out on their behaviour. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah definitely. You know, if, if people want to go and do skids and make noise and do all that sort of stuff, well, there's events around for that. You know, like your motivation, mm. your power cruises, and and other events. You know, go mm. and you know rip it up and have your fun at those events. But yep. on the street, just be aware that people are watching, mm. and uh, yeah, we're all ambassadors for what we do. So, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. The last thing we need is people doing the wrong thing. Yeah, I think car clubs are really. Cru- That's where I think car clubs are really crucial today in today's day and age. In I don't want to say policing it because car clubs shouldn't be forced to police that behaviour. But ultimately, for their members, they are responsible whether they like it or not for their members' behaviour. Even sometimes outside of car club events as well. They, you know, you, we we don't as a car club we don't want necessarily want someone with Perth, whatever car club, whatever it may be on their number plate or their number plates around ripping up the, the suburbs, do we? No, we definitely don't want that. Um, that just makes it harder and harder yeah. to achieve what we're trying to achieve you know, with acceptance of modified vehicles. Mm-hmm. Chris, tell us a little bit about, I know, so let's go back a step here. I know some of the work that WASMA done, but even previously to WASMA was getting concessions for for a number of our vehicles and we do this because we you know we we were looking for a concession on our vehicles because unmodified cars that were members of car clubs were able to utilize code 404 can you just tell us a little bit before we get stuck into c4c let's take a step back and look at code 404 can you tell us a little bit about code 404 Sure, I can. Uh, I will start off by saying I'm no expert on Code mm. 404, but certainly the essence of it is, is that um, you have limited road use. You have to be a member of a, <clears throat> a CMC um, affiliated car club. Yep. Uh, the vehicle has to be totally stock, unmodified. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what that allows you to do is have uh, very cheap registration um, on an annual basis. Um, yep. I don't know what the amount is, but it's it's a fraction of the normal <clears throat> of the normal yeah. cost of registration. Um, and you can go on club runs um, and you can do limited sort of, you know, close to home um, type uh, runs for, you know, like maintenance and servicing of your vehicle and, and, and so forth. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that basically allows people, you know, like because a lot of people, you know, have a number of vehicles that don't use them or they only see the road, you know, every other week or mm-hmm. once a month or once every yeah. few months even. So, uh, the notion of them, you know, paying sort of, you know, seven, eight hundred dollars a year in registration, you know, 
for that limited use um, yeah. was um, yeah it was one that yeah it was just effectively a windfall for the government. So mm. yeah, no, I, I understand that. So four hundred four had its place in the unmodified car scene, but the moment you put a set of rims and tires on that vehicle, it's not doesn't really fit the four hundred four bill anymore. So people like um, Eddie Archie they went about trying to get a scheme for the modified vehicles. Yeah, that's right. So Eddie Eddie was involved with that along with Mick Allender and Mick Rack. Mm. They're probably the three people that were uh, instrumental um, in, in pushing forward for a new scheme that was like a 404, but yeah. for modified, uh, modified vehicles. So the motoring enthusiast community uh, owes a great deal of gratitude to those three three guys. Um, they myself, myself included. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, well done to those guys. They put a uh, no one knows the effort that they they put into you know to achieving what they were able to achieve. So mm. yeah, um, you know, well well done to them. <clears throat> but the so the, the the system that's now come out, uh, which was announced by the government a couple of years ago, uh, was the concessions for classics. So yep. it's sort of similar to to, to code four hundred four in that you have to be a car club member. Um, it you have to have a um, uh, a vehicle that's over, uh, well, I think it's pre-1990. 1990, yeah, pre-1990. Pre-1990 vehicle, and I don't think that that's a rolling date. This time. No, it's not. No. It's been mandated that it's pre-1990. The vehicle can be modified. Obviously, it has to be registrable and licensed, roadworthy. Um, and um, you get about a, your registration costs are about a quarter of what you'd be paying on a, on a vehicle that you can use every day. Yeah. So, but yeah. that quarter roughly registrate that cost um, relates to being able to use the car for a quarter of the year. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, being yeah. 60 club days yeah. and 30 uh, private use days uh, for, mm-hmm. for the vehicle, which is probably enough for most enthusiasts, um, you know, like because we are talking about, you know, people uh, who have cars that, that is their second or third or fourth vehicle Hmm. uh, where they really only drive it on weekends. So, um, Look, I have to be honest, Chris, I live and breathe this C for C. I I went through it, you know, quite vigorously back when they released it uh, a year ago. I actually put forward my own at the time Department of Transport were looking for ideas or um, expressions of interest, sorry, was the word that they were looking for. This was probably two years ago. I, with a group of people, we submitted something. And what we got at the end of the day was very close to what we submitted. It wasn't exactly the same, but you know what I always say, beggars can't be choosers. But <laughs> the, the, I, I do live and breathe this C for C, so much so that a group of friends, we got together and we formed our own car club as well. We became Department of Transport approved. And here we are, we're, we're living and breathing the C for C. So the work that these guys did is, is you know, really magnificent. And we will be in debt to these people for a long time to come because it's not just about, this is what I try and tell everyone. It's not about the cheap registration because at the end of the day, I we do much more club activities now as a result. That probably cost us more than that 75% <laughs> discount. But that, all that aside, you ask anyone that's that's gone on to this and started or joined a car club as a result of this, and they'll tell you that it's a new, I won't say a new lease on life, but they have, a lot of these people never belonged to a car club before. So they were, not, they were forced to join a car club, but as a result, 
I think they've the 75%, yep, that's great. But I think what they got out of it was a lot, lot more in terms of community engagement and just being part of a wider community. Very much so. And a lot of people who traditionally haven't been in car clubs and have thought, oh, I don't want to have to go to a meeting every Thursday or every once a Thursday a month or, or whatever, you know, they sort of took a very negative attitude. But once they actually go along to the events and see that, you know, cl- clubs are generally probably not as regimented as what some of them used to be. Mm. Um, they really do. They really do enjoy it, and um, yeah. you can see that in the amount of cruises that are on now. It's also yeah. easy for clubs that there's so many events on, like your custom cars and coffee, and classic cars and coffee, and um, just other general cruise events, you know, Northern Steel, and and that. There's so many events that people can go to now, and and they can cruise to those events with their other club members or meet them there. And um, mm. it, it's a great camaraderie um, yeah. among people with a similar passion. Yeah. Well, that Northern Steel, that's a thats a really good example. Pete and Alison over there, Davis, the, the work that they've done over there in Joondalup. If you live in the mm. Joondalup area, it's once a month, I think they do it. It's the Bunnings outside. I don't think that's, I'm not sure if they call it Joondalup there, but it's the big Bunnings in Joondalup, I guess. That comes alive every Saturday, once once a month on a Saturday night, and that is a great atmosphere there. But not only for for them and the people that take their cars there, but for other people as well to come around, have a look at the cars, see what they see what they're doing. Then those people that with the food stalls there as well, they open up, and I, I think it's a great. I don't think they make a living from the selling of that food on a Saturday night, but it certainly it, it enhances their financial position at the end of the week. That's for sure. It, it, it does. You look at the smile like when you're driving on the road in your, in your classic car or custom car, you look at the smiles and people give you the thumbs up and that. I mean, that never happens in everyone's daily driver car. <laughs> so <laughs> no. Um, no. Pretty cool. that gives you a good feeling. It's good for mental health. You know, like it's, um, there's so many benefits to it that, that are probably intangible to the actual car itself. So. Yeah, yeah. Look, we, we, we're honoured. I call it an honour. We're honoured to be invited to the Aussie Park show every year, our car club, and we 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 have 40, 50 cars in the middle oval there. And and that, to me, is an honour that we're asked to be part of a show that's been around for 100 years. But not only that, you should see the kids that come down and the and the, the people that come down taking photos of the cars. And then we all leave at about 6.30 through the oval and there's people running down to the railing taking photos. It really is a magnificent atmosphere, I must say. It is, yeah, and that's just part of the benefit of being in a club and yeah, where you can go and do that sort of stuff together. So. Yeah, yeah. So just in brief, I mean, C for C, we'll just go through the man- the mandates here, but basically uh, cars got to be under four and a half tonne, as you, as you said before, pre-1990, and you've got to be a member of a, of a, of a DOT-approved car club. Really straightforward, nothing too difficult. You must fill out a logbook or have an app we'll talk about the app shortly because i know you guys have done a lot of exciting work there with the app um it's really simple and i think you know as i said it's not just about the 75 percent; it's a lot lot more than that so chris tell us if a, if a dot approved car club is offering uh c for c for its members that they, you, you're encouraging these clubs to join wasma can you talk us through through how that works yeah sure so uh wasma has a website um, and I'm sure you'll put that on your uh, on your yep. on your podcast there. Yep. So um, yeah, so and that's probably the best way to get in. The Wasma meets I think on the third Thursday of every month. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the the club generally meets at the Perth City Street Machine Club rooms in mm-hmm. Tangent there. Yep. Um, so 
we had because of COVID restrictions, we moved it away from there for a, a short period of time. Um, mm-hmm. But the next meeting is is back there in in May this this year. Yep. Um, so um, yeah, so we we meet there. The uh, we like to try and get representatives at each meeting from all the clubs. I mean, mm-hmm. ultimately, it was a group of enthusiasts that started Wasma. Yep. Um, but we want to see it move forward mm. uh, and we'd love to see you know, the executive committee be made up of representatives from different clubs. Yeah. Um, that's where we think that, that, that WASMA will work the best. You know, we really truly want it to be a voice of the clubs in, in, in WA representing uh, modified vehicles. Sure. For those listening to us on the radio or on a, as a podcast as well, the website is uh, WASMA dot org dot au magnificent website by the way done a magnificent job with the website it's really really good looking website and it's done well it, it's no surprise I, I sorry go on. i can't take any credit at all for that Mark. <laughs> you could have taken all the credit Bruce, but t- look, tell us given you got a really good website i can imagine i haven't used your app but i have seen a youtube video of the app and it looks magnificent so tell us we mentioned before the logbook, requiring a logbook. I'm a little bit old school. I've got a logbook in my car and I yep. fill it out diligently. But talk us through the app because I think, you know, no doubt about it, that's that's the way forward, isn't it? Yeah, sure. So when the app was first developed, because the we weren't quite sure when C4C was first released, you know, what the requirements were going to be on the club to monitor, um, you know, club members' usage of vehicles, um, and, and so forth. So, um, one of the uh, Nick, one of the well, the Wasma members, um, mm-hmm. he developed the app. Um, it's a, it's a passion of his, you know, doing yep. app development and so forth. So we're very fortunate to have Nick on board mm-hmm. uh, to, to help us do that. Yep. And um, so basically, the app allows uh, one is the users, so the drivers of each of the individual cars, to have instead of having to you know, fossick through and fill out a logbook, it's basically. Um, the the events, all the events uh, from the clubs are basically on on the on your phone or computer already. Um, and then once you actually use your vehicle for a run, it'll actually keep a tally of how many um, you know, club days or uh, club days or how many individual days you've used over the year. Yep. Or indeed, if you've got a number of vehicles, you can um, choose um, you know any one of your own vehicles um, to to go on that particular run on that day. So, yep. um, but ultimately, it's it's very easy for uh, for some other club. Uh, if a club gets requested, and they will be, uh, mm-hmm. if a club gets requested by DOT to provide information on members' vehicles and runs and so forth. Uh, for a club that has uh, all its members running around with uh, bits of paper or a paper logbook, somehow they need to get information from the members. Where as the clubs, if they've got that information, who, who are using the app they can just download that information to an Excel sheet and provide that to the Department of Transport. So on the occasions when the clubs get asked to provide you know, evidence of you know, vehicle usage from their members, um, I think that that's where the Act will really come into its own for yeah. club admins. Thanks, Chris. I needed that dose of depression because <laughs> I'll be the <laughs> one chasing the logbooks. <laughs> anyway, we digress. I... Um, We've been mentioning the clubs that are uh, Wasma affiliates. We've probably good, good, timely reminder to actually mention those clubs. I've got a list of them here. Let me know if there's more of them. But Perth City Street Machine Car Club, 
what can we say about those guys? I mean, I know quite a few of those guys over there, magnificent car club. They actually, we, we, we probably should have mentioned they actually founded motivation, but great, great. Great bunch of guys, those guys. Uh, the Monaro Car Club of WA, the VW Club of WA, Northern Steel, we just mentioned them before, Pete and uh, Alison Davis. Uh, West Coast Vanners, the combined Tirana Car Club of WA, been on a number of runs with those guys over the years as well. They're a great group of guys and girls. The 55, 56, 57 Chev Car Club of WA, the 49 to 59 Ford V8 Owners, Club of WA, Cape Naturalist Motoring Club of Incorporated, and of course the Mustang Owners Club of WA as well. So that's quite a quite a quite a good list of car clubs there. But I guess you just probably, I mean, when you think about it, it's a it's a small list, but it's you're starting from somewhere, aren't you? Absolutely, but it might it might be a small list, but it represents you know I think a few thousand um, you know enthusiasts and vehicles um, you know by those clubs, and and we're wanting it to grow more and more. You know, for, yep. for instance, I think the CMC has over a hundred clubs in it. So yeah, yeah, I mean, we're very much at the infancy of, of what we're doing. Um, yeah, we don't profess to replace what CMC do. Mm. Uh, we would rather complement what they what they do and, yep. and be a voice. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, be a voice to, to government on on matters that affect motoring enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. So, was about some of the initiatives that you guys are working on? It's not just about you know uh, being a. Uh, a vocal or a voice for these car clubs, but there's some initiatives you're working on. I know there's a stamp duty review committee as well, and, and Vicky's on that committee. Uh, the aim there is to exempt stamp duty for C for C eligible vehicles. I, I wrote here in the notes, are you able to elaborate on this? I'm sure you can. So can you tell us, can you look, maybe before I ask that question, yeah. maybe just tell us about your personal uh, stamp duty um issues that you they've been well documented but can you tell us a bit about that as well yeah sure so uh, a couple of years ago uh, i got caught up in a uh in a situation where um and it related to the falcon the xbox falcon that that i built um you know a car that i uh, bought as a as a rolling shell for a bit under nine thousand dollars um but then, of course, yeah, it took me you know, eight years to build it. And then when you register it, it says, uh, and I relied on the advice on the Department of Transport's website, which may have changed now, uh, but it said that, you know, to use the Red Book value for yep. a value of a vehicle. So um, so I used the highest Red Book value for um, the, the make and model of, of my car. Um, and that was fine. Got the car registered, paid the appropriate stamp duty for that amount. Mm-hmm. And that was all fine. And then about probably four or five years after the car was registered, I then got a letter saying, yeah, please explain how you valued your car. So mm-hmm. uh, because, yeah, we value it at an amount that would have met with penalties um, mm. that I owed the, um, the, uh, the government uh, about sixty-five or $70,000 wow. in stamp duty, yeah, which was a lot to cop for a car that I originally paid like less than nine thousand dollars for. Mm, so yep. anyway, so um, after some backwards and forwards over a period of about twelve months, I was levied with a bill and penalties. Um, so I had to pay thirty-four thousand um, dollars for uh, in in stamp duty and penalties. Um, but then that was later reviewed um, through. The, you know, I had to get a lawyer involved and, and all that. 
uh, and I got about $25,000 of that back. So yeah. the upshot was, yes, I had to pay more stamp duty than I originally paid. Uh, yes, it was a lot of pain along the way mm. <laughs> that I had to, to do because I had to pay for evaluation uh, for the vehicle and that. So uh, I still maintained that I, I followed the, the procedures that you know, the DOT outlined, outlined on their own website. Yeah. Um, and, and I believe that, you know, their, um, their, their, their mode, um, sort of their, um, uh, what do you call their objective was to, to stop people from de- deliberately cheating the system. Mm. And, um, but I think a lot of people and, and, yeah, we, we, I guess we, I see motoring enthusiasts and people who build vehicles, you know, buy them at a low, low price as a project car. Yep. Uh, I see us as being a bit of collateral damage where, yeah, some of the boffins at government sort of decided to, you know, I don't know if that was ever the intent of the, of the rule to, you know, to, to catch out people who, you know, build vehicles, you know, pay their GST and taxes along the way while they're building a vehicle and then cop a, a huge mm. standard duty bill at, at the yep. end of it. So, um, yeah, so that was, that was my story. There have been a lot of other people who have been caught up in, in the, uh, in the stamp duty issue. You know, some mm. of those, were probably deceitful where they deliberately under, you know, particularly where they bought a vehicle that was done up um, yep. and, you know, they've had to just cop that one and, and pay the, pay the extra stamp duty and the, and the penalties. Yep. But I think there's also some people that have been, you know, generally caught up in, in the situation and have had to sort of fork out money and penalties and, and so forth. Yeah. yeah. What, what I'm finding, Chris, as being part of a car club as well, is that, is another side as well and not necessarily even putting the spanner to the car. We have a number of members that have bought, let's say valuable vehicles mm-hmm. 20 odd years ago, perhaps they were unlicensed at the time. Um, for whatever reason, they chose not to license those vehicles. Some of them were in various states of not running or disrepair, we'll call, but did it require a great deal of funding to get those cars running again? Some of these cars, these guys are too frightened to license them now because of this. these cars. We're not just talking about they're, they're, some of them are Monaros, some of them are GTs. They're unlikely to have these vehicles licensed at any point because of the, the fear of, of the stamp duty and, they don't feel it's fair because they paid X amount of dollars for the vehicle mm. 20 odd years ago. And while they don't feel that it, they, they should only have to pay the stamp duty and what they actually paid for the vehicle, they can, they can prove that. However, they're, they're fearful of licensing those vehicles now because of the stamp duty. Yeah, so the, the, the way I understand it is the stamp duty laws are written about the stamp duty applies to the granting of a license, mm-hmm. not necessarily the transfer of property. You know, like, mm-hmm. So uh, much like on a, on a house here, when you go and buy a new house or whatever, or whatever um, the transaction occurs when you transfer the property. So yep. whereas with the, the stamp duty as it relates to motor vehicles, it's on the granting of a license in, 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 a, in a person's name. So... Mm. Um, so, for instance, uh, yeah, my, my cousin built a K-board uh, Monaro years ago, um, and it was in pretty poor condition, but it was still licensed. So he transferred the license at that time. Yep. And then so regardless of what he spends on the car now, because he, it's already been licensed into his name, um, he doesn't have to pay any additional stamp duty. Mm. Yep. So, yep. Um, so my recommendation to, to anyone would be if they're building a car is to, you know, to get it, 
you know, licensed as soon as you can in the build process, as soon as the car is yeah. roadworthy enough to get yeah. it licensed. And, uh, you know, then pull it apart and paint it later on. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that that's just simply, that's not being uh, mischievous. That's just being, you know, using the, the same rules that the, that the government offers twisted around to catch these people out. It's using mm. those in the same manner. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's perceived in many ways as a capital gains tax. Like some people view it like a capital gains tax. At the end of the day, capital gains you only pay once you sell. In this situation, yeah. is happening when they license, but they, they do feel that they've been targeted because their their good fortune for investing in a car twenty odd years ago. Yeah, yeah, they're paying for that now. When they, when they, if they do get, I, I can tell you, there's a couple of cars that might never get licensed because of this reason. So well, um, that does not surprise me in, in the least. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm hoping we can do something about it. It seems ridiculous that um, you know if you've got a car on code four hundred four, i.e., it's a standard vehicle, mm. and you want to use it for limited use, well, you don't have to pay stamp duty at all. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, whereas if you took it to an extreme, you know, that same old vehicle, uh, if that might have drum brakes on it, if you put disc brakes on it, mm-hmm. um, it could be the same otherwise otherwise the same vehicle, but all of a sudden, because you've made the car safer, um, you're then not eligible for uh for no stamp duty on that car. There's, yeah. there's there's some that's an anomaly and but there's some ridiculous situations like that that I think need to be addressed. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of addressing them, how how is the WASMA progressing with with their stamp duty review committee? How are they progressing along there? Yeah, well, sure. That 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 review committee is led by uh, by Vicky and, and by Graham um, mm-hmm. at, at WASMA. Uh, they're the ones who are really uh, pushing it, and I believe that Vicky uh, and all Graham will speak to you at a future time uh, yeah. to that. But very broadly, it's very early days, mm-hmm. um, so. Uh, they've put forward. They've written to uh, uh, to um, politicians. Yep. I believe the premier, um, and basically advised them that you know, apart from Queensland and WA, mm. you know, none of the other states apply stamp duty to vehicles that have restricted use on the roads. So yeah, yep. Because um, yeah, I mean, well, even in the greater, we'll call them the greater, the greater public, mm. that aren't really aware of or don't have the passion of what we do. Do you honestly think that out there that people mind whether we pay our what's deemed a fair share of stamp duty? I think at the end of the day, it's such a small portion of of people in our scene that uh, may have not, you know, and, and unwilling, you know, uh, not knowingly paid the correct amount of stamp duty. Do you think the great arm wash would be would be they, they wouldn't begrudge us not, not paying the stamp duty in any event. I would hope not. I mean, you, you think that you know, the people who are spending money on these enthusiast vehicles are actually spending the money in WA or in That's Australia mm. and you know, paying taxes here. Whereas, you know, if they chose a different hobby like going on overseas holidays, none of that money gets spent here and the government gets nothing out of it. So mm. I, mean, yep. I think the government needs to be encouraging people to, to be spending money here and not creating roadblocks that, they go to make them think, oh, oh, bugger it. I'll just go and, you know, I'll go on an overseas holiday and spend my 20, 50 grand or whatever they spend on, on their overseas holidays. Yeah. Um, it's obviously you know, of no benefit to our, you know, to our community from an economic sense. 
Yeah. I know I know it's two different taxes. Stamp duties a state tax and, and GST is a federal tax. But can you imagine like if the lost GST revenue, if suddenly this scene went away overnight? Like it, it's we're talking billions here, lot in lost in lost revenue, because the money that gets spent, if you think about Australia in the modifying scene, it, it, it it's a it's a large sum of money at the end of the year. It, it's it's a massive amount, and um, you know I know that there's I mean there's a lot of workshops in Perth that would probably just close down. Um, yeah. You know, so you know those people would be without jobs and and uh, and that. So yeah, we want to encourage it. It's it's a great hobby to be part of. You know, we yeah yeah I, as I said before, there's always a minority that. That, that give us a bad rap because mm. of some poor behaviour. Uh, but for most part, motoring enthusiasts do the right thing. You yeah. know, they're good for the they're good for the community. They go out and they fundraise and they do bits and pieces. So, um, you know, they create feel-good events. It's great for mental health for, mm. for people. You know, yeah. like, yeah. you know they're, they're spending time with like-minded people. So, mm. yeah. you, know, you know, a lot of jobs now are pretty stressful mm-hmm. and, you know, getting out and cruising around and you're, in your classic or custom vehicle uh, is a great stress relief. So mm, definitely, definitely. There's a lot of intangible benefits to it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. The 180 kilowatt per tonne, that's 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 a magical number I have heard a lot of over, over the last few years. Tell us where that that, that 180, the, the talk of the limiting modified vehicles to the 180 kilowatt per tonne, where, that, where that's at at the moment. Yeah, sure. So, the um, for for those who don't know, um, the for modifying vehicles and putting in alternative engines or making engine modifications, uh, there's a rule book called VSB 14, which is Vehicle Standards Bulletin 14, which is a national document that mm-hmm. WA fall in behind. Yep. So that document talks about engine size um, as being sort of um, uh, as a way of controlling. I guess horsepower in, in engines yep. uh, for modified for modified vehicles, but then in about 2015, uh, and again I understand it's as a result of complaints from the public to politicians, um, there was a mandate uh, put to um, to the, the the officers at the Department of Transport to to introduce another system to get these you know, high powered cars off the street. So they introduced uh, they did some their own internal research. Um, I won't speculate as to how they came up with the number, but it was decreed that, you know, like in addition to the car modified engines having to satisfy the, the size requirements or the capacity requirements, they also uh, weren't allowed to exceed 180 kilowatts per tonne. So yeah, okay. there are a lot of vehicle builds where, um, yeah, where people are expecting to get approval because their their vehicle modification application yeah, appeared to meet the requirements of VSB 14, mm-hmm. uh, yet they were being knocked back on yep. uh, on, on safety grounds. Um, yeah. So um, that's, we took particular umbrage to that comment about, um, you yeah, um, the vehicles being unsafe and that, because the fact is that they're just not. Um, mm. So, and then, yeah, as we referred to before, yeah, there's all those accident statistics and, insurance information that demonstrates that the, these cars, because they're driven by enthusiasts um, and have limited road use, their actual accident occurrence is a lot less than the average motor vehicle. Yeah, yeah. Just for those that are listening that aren't 
probably tech, don't know what 180 kilowatt per ton would equate to. I haven't done the math and I probably should have. But anyway, the last Commodore, the VF, I think was around about the 230, 240 kilowatts. And that car weighed 18, 18, 1800 kilograms. Yep. So that, that would, that would fall under the 180 kilowatt per ton. However, not by a lot. Yes. So if we're using the last Commodore VF Commodore, beautiful car mm. as a, a gauge, we weren't allowed to make much more horsepower or power to weight than that, that car. That's not a hell of a lot. No, 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 you're right. Um, and I think the, the particular concern was when you're putting these higher horsepower engines, which are, easy to tune and make more horsepower out of mm. uh, into older cars that had much lighter bodies yep. so so when the when the vs when the department first started assessing uh the power of the 180 kilowatts per ton they were using engine power mm. uh, but they've now clarified it as being rear wheel power so yeah, okay um, yeah. So that makes a difference. So it yep. meant that some of the builds that were uh, rejected um, over time uh, probably now uh, are deemed to be acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, I want to just branch out a little bit off the notes here. I just, these are a couple of things that I, I made note of before. And I'm really curious to know from you, Chris, what, what in your mind, how do you see the future of street machining? Let's just say in the next 10 years, what, what do you think that looks like in the next 10 years? Um, I'd, I'd like to think that we are seeing the scene grow, but, but I am concerned that um, uh, a lot of us in the scene have uh, gray hair, uh, receding hair <laughs> um, and, uh, <laughs> and I don't see as many young people coming through so no. um, and I think that that's a bit sad um, so I think also the people like myself with the grey hair need to be encouraging younger people into the scene too so yeah. um, I'll always uh, try and take the time to talk you know, young people show interest I'll always do what I can to 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 um yeah to, to help these other people if they show it of interest to help encourage them um yeah and i think we could all be ambassadors for for our hobby yeah um, definitely moving forward so um i I'd, I'd like to think that we're in a better place uh, in terms of modified vehicles in in 10 years certainly long yeah. before that um where you know, if someone wants to build something a bit more radical you know they're able to do that so mm. Um, I'd, I'd love to think we could have a system in place, um, certainly well before 10 years, that, that might allow someone to do that. So yeah. Yeah. Um, provide the vehicle safe and can be driven safely on the street, that's, that's a key thing. I mean, mm. none of us want dangerous cars on the street. No. Um, and, uh, but I, mean, I think there's, a, yeah, there's potentially a lot of cars out there or some cars out there that may not fit the criteria yeah. um, uh, or the current criteria but can still be driven very safely. Mm. Do you think we use utilize people like Simon Birch, this year's grand champion of motivation, even Clint DiGiovanni comes to mind, Rachel yeah. as well, Rachel from House of Colour, you know those sort of people in the scene because they're, they're younger than me. Do you think we utilise, because they? I, I do perceive, they're just three that I quickly wrote down before we started sure. the podcast, but there's a lot more than that, so... You know, but do you think we use those people to the best of our ability? Because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not convinced we do. I think we need to see more of those sort of people, um, 
sort of leading the way or maybe, yeah. you know, car clubs bringing those people in to do special talks and stuff like that? Yeah, I think that that can only help our cause. Um, yeah. So so I know, you know, Clint's been an integral part of WASMA. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, and, you know, Clint's, you know, had a lot of history with the Department of Transport and is very knowledgeable on car modifications. So, yeah. Um, I'd, I'd love to think we use people like that um, as much as we can for, you know, to to help get better outcomes for everyone. Um, yeah. Similarly, you know, people like Rachel. You know, I mean, she's a, um, you know, she's out there in terms of, um, you know, her ability to, um, to, uh, you know, her custom painting skills are, you know, are fantastic and, and, uh, yeah, I mean. Yeah, being dare I say at risk of sounding sexist, you know, a woman in a in a mm. man's dominated yep. um, industry, uh, I think it's great to see her out there, you know, doing what she does and doing it really well. So, yeah. uh, by all means, we should be using anyone um, that we can as ambassadors, regardless yeah. of their age. Yeah, well, I, I mean, her in particular, she has a really big social media presence now, and. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't want to say she's an influencer. I don't think she's an, uh, an influencer. Uh, she probably doesn't want to be an influencer either, but I do think she has a, you know, a pretty big social media presence now yeah. where I think she can be quite influential in the scene. And I'm not saying we don't, I, I do think we need to bring some females along for the journey as well. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. what I will say. Cool. And, you know, being involved in a car club myself, We've dragged as many females as we can along for the journey, but they're still underrepresented. And I think we need to try and get them represented a bit better or, or more. Yeah, I think, well, generally my view is, is that we need to encourage everyone, you know, mm. regardless of, you know, their, their sex, you know, background or whatever. Um, yep. You know, the, the, yeah, I, I'd... I'd like to see more young people. If we can encourage more young people into the scene, and and you look at events like um, you know custom cars and coffee is a great event for that because mm. people go along and they see all sorts of cars there. You know, yep. regardless of whether they're Australian cars, American cars, or you know Japanese, you know, um, you know Asian, other Asian, Korean cars. Mm. You know, there people we should be encouraging them to come along and and look at other vehicles. Um, so. I mean, I've got the, an eclectic like for cars. Um, mm. So, yeah, my, yeah, have standard vehicles and modified vehicles and, and mm. that. And, um, and, uh, and always have the opportunity to, to talk and encourage other people um, yeah. to, uh, to get into the scene. So, Jason, Jason Fuller, that is, has done a magnificent job in that space. I mean, what he's done and, and yeah, he, the, the, the work, I mean, we've kind of missed him. I know he took a, took a bit of time off for COVID related issues and um, he couldn't run events really not in a, I didn't think in my personal opinion. And I, I agree. I don't think wearing masks at a car show was probably conducive to putting on a good event. So he decided maybe not to do them for a little while. Uh, I know I saw a post from him the other day. He's coming back and we're really looking forward to that, Jason. And I know he gets it. I call it the melting pot of the modified car scene in in WA. It really is. It's a, you know, you walk over there, you see a Lamborghini and you walk over there, you see a Falcon 500. And then over there, there's a Datsun 120Y and over there, there's a Volvo. It, it, it really is. It's a melting pot of, of all different car cultures. And, you know, you, there's no, there's no aggro. It's just a really relaxed atmosphere. And I, I think Jason, what he's done is a magnificent job in the scene. 
Oh, it is, absolutely. And the thing I enjoy most about the, those events is just going on and catching up with mates and mm. people with like-minded interests. You yeah. Know, so, yeah. Not necessarily people that you know, you'd, you'd see regularly as your mates that you catch up with and go for a beer with or whatever, but mm. just people that you see around the scene. And yeah. uh, I really enjoy that. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. One other question I had for you as well that's off off the notes is how do you see, I, I just always looking ahead and I'm thinking to myself, you know, um, we saw on the weekend I went to the supercars and, you know, the 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 um the Utes now they put all they have LSs in them and they're talking about how they can becoming difficult to get an LS with the decline in supply of the LS and Coyote. What what do you think is going to be the next the next you know not fad but the next engine or weapon of choice? Let's put it that way for for a for any sort of build. I I'm actually thinking that there's going to be a trend towards people taking electric motors and putting in cars in the future. Mm. Yeah, um, that I think is you know I don't think we're going to see as many electric motor um, uh, conversions as we did LS conversions or mm. or whatever. But but I actually think that that we're going to see some more of that sort of thing uh, yeah. or increase in that in that happening. Yep. So, yeah. You know, as as you get more uh, electric vehicles that become you know, wrecks or whatever, um, and there's parts availability, um, then I, I think we'll see more of that. Yeah, yeah, it's it is a it is. I I agree with you 100. percent We've seen Ford with a crate electric motor. I guess you'd yep. call it that. That's available now. Well, I think they've sold out, but was available at one point. Um, but if the Department of Transport couldn't get their head around 180 kilowatt per ton or hold on to your hats because this is going to be a whole new ball game for them, isn't it? It's yeah, not, yeah. This is and, not a... And, yeah, and from our dealings with the Department of Transport, they're certainly mindful of it, mm. um, that yeah, they're going to have to address issues related to um, EVs. So, yep. uh, and and yeah, using EVs in older cars. Mm. Um, there was a great conversion I saw uh, maybe six months ago. It was uh, someone put a an electric motor into a DeLorean of all yeah. things uh, yeah. over in Melbourne. And uh, I thought that was so cool, a bit of a back to the future type thing. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely a bit of irony there. That's, that's, exactly. That is awesome. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. Hey, Chris, just getting back to getting back to Wasma then, uh, how can we find more information about Wasma? We talked about it before with a website, but you also got a massive uh, Facebook page as well. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, the, the Facebook page has been up and running for, for a while and people can get on. So that started off as WA Strip Machines, mm. uh, which is a page that Nick Rack sort of um, mm -hmm. uh, looked after. So uh, that's probably a, a good place where you can find out some more information or at least ask questions mm -hmm. um, uh, for, for WASMA. But for those, what we really like to see is more clubs come along and, uh, and get along to the WASMA um, monthly meetings. Yep. And be represented there and you know it's it's i think certainly a quite a modest cost for clubs to to join wasma for the for the potential benefits mm -hmm. um that, that they get and um uh and it's all about you know creating a much wider voice for the for the community so that you know yep. when we do need to go and speak with government you know we're not representing a couple of hundred people but we're representing you know hopefully tens of thousands of people Yep, yep. And so for your affiliated car clubs as well, you also offer a service where Wasma can come out to their meetings as well and you can talk to their members we as well. We can do that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That helps us to get to get member clubs. Um, mm -hmm. 
just contact Wasma um, through the website or, or on Facebook, and uh, and I'm certain that we could get you know one of our uh, one of our members or one of the executive committee from sure. from Wasma out to to speak to the various car clubs and explain the benefits of of joining Wasma. Yeah, definitely. No, that sounds that sounds pretty good. There's also some good resources I found at your website. Um, so there's links to the C for C application form. Yep. Real simple form, by the way. For those that haven't done it yet, because it's too hard to fill out a form, uh, they <laughs> they obviously think it's sheet reams and reams of paper. It is literally one one A four sheet, yep. one side, not two mm. sides one side and there's i think it's like there's a quarter, a quarter of it's really up to the car club to fill out as well so seriously right. it is the easiest form you could ever fill out it's going to be the easiest way you're ever going to get six seven hundred dollars back let's put it that way because I, I can tell you now uh we jumped to it then i haven't looked back it's been the best thing i ever did and you know what the real crazy thing about this is Prior to me getting that discount or going for it, I actually probably drove my car a lot less. Now that I've got the concession, I'm using, I'd worked out last, well, so from April to, to December, I think I used the car for 12 club days. And I think for six personal days or private days. So all up, what's that? That's uh, 18. Now, I don't reckon I used the car 18 days the previous year. So here I am paying a lot less and using the car a lot more, but I'm more, I'm more vigilant of it now and I'm wanting to get the car out, do club events, go and even on personal days because I don't know, it's just, it's it's the club culture. It really is. And, and that's what I tell people, get involved, do the right thing. You'll feel better for it. Absolutely. And it, you, the clubs don't have to take over your life. So for those <laughs> of your listeners who aren't in car clubs that you know, are perhaps a bit apprehensive, um, you, know, you, you get out of a car club what you put into it. So. Mm. Yep. Um, yeah, you can choose to do a lot of events or a few events um, or whatever, but uh, I think that they've moved a long way. Our car clubs have moved a long way from the old old style car clubs where you, know, you had you know, a meeting every month and this and you had to do this and you had to do that. Um, I think most car clubs that I'm aware of are, are certainly a lot more relaxed nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Look, I don't want to talk about them too much because I'm going to have them on the podcast another episode, but Northern Steel is a perfect example of that. I mean, you, you really, I mean, Peter, Peter and Alison are not going to make you become the president or the secretary or they'd probably like you to be, but <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not going to hold a gun to your head and ask you to be the treasurer or something like that. No. What more can you ask for? As long as you turn up every now and then to their monthly event at their Joondalup, it's a magnificent, it's a Saturday night. I think it's all finished by nine o'clock. Everyone goes home and it's, right. it's yep. such a great atmosphere. And I'm, yeah, I just urge people to get along to that at the very least. There's there's a car club there in it's in Wasma affiliated club. I shouldn't be pointing out one club over another, but at the end of the day, I know some of these other clubs may there might be a bit of a fear that because you know you you might not have a Volkswagen, you might not have a Monaro, but that you know the Northern still take still bumpered cars basically. So yep. you know ticks all the boxes. So anyway, I just urge people to to get along and. Um, do the right thing and become a member of a car club. Act, belong, commit. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think for, for most car clubs that are successful clubs, you know, there is a uh, you know changing over the, of the guard from time to time. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the challenges you know, that they'll have at Northern Steel is to you know um, is the founders sort of stepping back a little bit one day and, and letting others sort of you know 
you know, take over take over the reins. Yeah. Um, but clubs grow that way. Um, mm. You know, you, 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 I often see in any organisation, not just car clubs, but sporting clubs and that, you know, there, there needs to be a, a change in, in, in personnel and people who are running things to keep yep. ideas fresh and to yep. keep them fresh as well. And yep. a lot of people who might hold an executive position in the club might have a two or three year break and then feel refreshed and then want to go and, you know, and help become secretary or treasurer or do whatever, you know, mm. you know in the future again. Yeah. So, yeah no, you're... Uh, all about helping each other out and enjoying each other's company. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Hey, Chris, I've had an awesome time. Uh, we're going to do it again in a studio. We're going to get probably yourself back. We'll get Vicky back. I'd love to have Mark there as well. And, uh, uh, um, Graham as well, uh, Perry too as well. As many as you can get along with one of the mix or both of the mix perhaps as well. Steve Thomas, we'll get you all back in. We'll get you in a studio. studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'd love to have you all in and I think we need to have a bit of a powwow, but we thought we'd get this podcast out of the way and not out of the way, but get this get the ball rolling and then maybe you know, in a few months' time you can give us a bit of an update on some of the things that we talked about uh, on this podcast. Yeah, that'd be great. And particularly things like the, you know, the stamp duty concessions, sort of, you know, that's really something that, you know, that Vicky and Graham and that and, um, and Mick are running with. Um, mm. And that's a good thing about being, you know, the WASMA, there's a, there's different people that are running with different things. And I think yeah. you need to do that. It's too much for one person to be across mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's where it's great that the organisation, uh, you know, is big enough that, that you know, people can step in to do their, their role Sure. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Chris, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I know it was over Zoom, but I'm sure I'll see you very soon anyway in the flesh and uh, we'll talk then, but I really appreciate your time on coming on the podcast. Look forward to it, Nick. Thanks, Mark. No worries. Take care. No worries. Welcome back to the Talking Power podcast. Uh, it was great to have Chris Bitmead on the radio there. It's always a pleasure talking to Chris and uh, known him for a few years now and he's an absolute gentleman and uh, certainly knows his stuff. Um, anyone that can build a car like Xbox, Xbox, sorry, um, you know, speaks a thousand words. But, I mean, yeah, an advocate for the car club scene. We should all really be advocates for the car club scene. I think it's... Uh, it's a strong. You get great, great culture, great, great upbringing in in car clubs. So, thanks for Chris for coming along and um, having a chat there. All things, all things was It was great to have him on. All right. Well, look, that brings this episode to an end. Um, thanks for tuning in. It's great to have you, have everyone here. I must say that this is going to be our final episode for about three three to four weeks we're taking a bit of time off um just because look at the end of the day i've um have other commitments at the moment that i need to take care of uh everything's fine i just have some commitments outside of the podcast that are work related that need addressing so we'll be taking about three weeks off we'll be back uh early june to, to kick the podcast off again and also the radio show so look don't stress if you don't hear us for the next three three to four weeks we're, we're still here we're just 
taken a little bit of time off to focus on other things outside of the podcast and outside of the radio show. But we really appreciate everyone's support. Everyone's been supportive of what we've been doing. Uh, we really appreciate it. And I can assure you we'll be back on air. We're not going anywhere. We just need to need to sort a few things out in the background and we'll be back we'll be back with vengeance so thanks everyone for tuning in really appreciate it uh thanks for chris bitmead for coming on we really appreciate that as well uh and we'll see you in a few weeks time okay take care everyone bye-bye talk and power your motorsport and motoring radio show now on 88.5 fm the valley comes alive and podcasting across itunes and talkandpower.com.au